0: Please be seated. Revelation chapter 11 this evening. John declares then I was given oh let's stop right there in the Greek the word then just kidding Uh, somebody caught me at the back door uh, uh, today and uh, one of the sisters and she was talking with uh, another one of the sisters here in the fellowship and um, they were talking about trying to make some sense of the chronology of all of these events and uh, because they're a little confused about how certain things lay in terms of getting the chronology. And um, once I got over the fact that some of the fault of that might be um, a failure for clarity on my part as a teacher, um, I then thought it might be good for us to talk a little bit of, about this. There is, in the book of Revelation, there is a very, very clear sequence of events through the seven-year tribulation period and and the clear sequence uh... has to do with the breaking of the seven seals and then the seven seals giving way to uh... seven trumpets of judgment and then the seven trumpets of judgment then uh... giving way to seven bowls of judgment these are sequential uh... events of god's judgment upon the earth during the period of the tribulation the interesting thing that God does in in the book of Revelation is that each time he finishes one of those sequences he heads into what is commonly referred to as a as a parenthetical passage where he takes and gives us some additional insight into some of the events that are occurring at this time without bogging down the sequence so for instance when you um, read there in chapter six and uh, the here you've got the six seals being opened up the seventh seal is going to is essentially the seven trumpets you notice that in chapter seven in some of your bibles they'll have where they're entitled these things they will entitle this as a parenthesis. so seals broken, but now he's going to stop and say, there's two or three other things you need to know that are happening in all of this so you can get your bearings here. And so he does the same thing as then the uh, seven trumpets are blown and, uh, and all and then starting in, in uh, chapter 10, which we looked at last week, uh, it begins another parenthetical passage where he stops and says okay, these are the things that happen with the seven trumpets, but but now, let me tell you about some other things that are happening related to this revelation of Jesus uh, so you can know a little bit more. Now, one of the interesting things about the parenthetical passages is that we don't always know exactly where they fit in the sequence. Only that they are important to God that we know that these things are happening. And, uh, and because they're important to God that we know them, it's important to us. And, uh, and so so it goes these uh, parenthetical passages so an attempt to get a strict chronology by reading it right through it can be uh, confusing in fact impossible without realizing that this is kind of the the order of things now chapter eleven verse one then uh, john declares i was given a reed like a measuring rod and so uh, a reed of some some kind of a measuring uh, instrument uh, a more kind of a a a primitive form perhaps of what we would call a yardstick the reed is probably a little bit longer than our yardstick so it's given to him for the purpose of measuring something and the angel said uh, stood saying rise and measure the temple of god the altar, and those who worship there. Then he's given very specific instruction, but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. 42 months is uh, three and a half years. So this is happening in, in either the first or the second half. Uh, of the great tribulation period and i uh, and i have an opinion on that which i'll bring forth in in just a moment so here he is he's given this measuring stick this measuring rod the angel instructs him to measure three things here the temple of god the altar which probably refers to the holy of holies the, the holiest place at the temple and then to worship uh... those who worship there so you measure the holy of holies measure the temple of God, which would constitute the holy place, which was the next holiest part of the temple. And these were places that could only be accessed by uh, the priests. Now, there is no temple uh, in Jerusalem uh, today. When you go to the Mount of Olives, and it's one of the highlights of a trip uh, to, to Israel is to uh, spend some time on the Mount of Olives, which is to the east of uh, the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem. And when you go and you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look west, you look out over Mount Moriah. You look out over what is the Temple Mount, where the Jewish temple at one time uh, stood there on, on that mountain. And when you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look at the Temple Mount today, you don't see a temple, you see two Muslim mosques. You see the uh, Dome of the Rock Mosque and you see the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, the second and third holiest sites for Islam there on the top of, of the temple. Today, uh, because of the absence of a temple there, it looks exactly as what Jesus said it would look when he uh, spoke to the disciples in what is known as his Olivet discourse, when he said concerning the end of uh, teaching concerning the end of the age and what would lead to the end of the age and 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 all, and he said. Jesus, we're told in Matthew 24, 1 and 2, then Jesus went out and he departed from the temple and his disciples came to him to show him the things of the temple. They were astonished at the beauty of of the temple built by Herod. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that uh, shall not be thrown down. And so Jesus referred to the fact that the temple would be destroyed as it was by uh, Titus, the Roman general uh, who came in in 70 AD and as a part of uh, bringing the Jewish people and the nation back in line from their rebellion, the Jerusalem was uh, leveled and so was the temple. It's always interesting uh, to be up there and look out on the Temple Mount as a group of Christians and, and uh, usually we, you know, we have a guide and, and all who's Jewish and and just to speak of the fact that when when you look out on that Temple Mount and you do not see a temple Uh, It was inconceivable to the Jews that the temple would ever be destroyed, maybe converted to some other use or something, but that that temple that took Herod 46-plus years to build and uh, some of the stones uh, weighing, you know, uh, hundreds of tons and and all, they just couldn't believe that it would be destroyed. And yet it was a testimony to what it is that Jesus had prophesied and a powerful testimony, I think, to the Jewish people. And I like that seed to be planted. Uh, in their hearts as they consider uh, Jesus. So I always uh, bring it up. Now Jesus went on to teach that during the great tribulation the Antichrist would enter into the holy place, referring to the holy of holies, and the temple was basically a rectangular box. It wasn't really a very big building, as we'll talk about in a moment, but one-third of it. It's like a shoebox almost, you know, bigger, but that's the proportion. And uh, one-third of it is the holy of holies, where the high priest could only go in there uh, one day out of the year, the Day of Atonement. And then two-thirds of the rest of it, that was the place where the priest would go in and minister, and the the daily show bread and the offering of the incense and, and the and the different things they could go in there and and uh, and uh, offer these particular services to to the Lord so the, uh, the Bi- Jesus taught that as the Bible teaches too that at the halfway point of the great tribulation uh, that the Antichrist will enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple he will as a result of that defile the temple he will sit in the Holy of Holies and he will demand to be worshipped as God and, th- and as a result of him going into the Holy of Holies and demanding this He makes that temple an abomination. And that's why it's called the abomination that causes desolation. Because when the Jews, the Jews will think that the Antichrist is their Messiah up to this point. And when they see this happen, they will realize that they've been deceived. That this is an abomination, and they will then flee from following after the Antichrist and uh, and and flee literally out of Jerusalem into the wilderness. It is the abomination that causes desolation. Jesus. Instructed uh, the Jews that when this occurs, it, again in the Olivet Discourse, that if they see this, they should run out, run for their lives uh, out into the wilderness and get away from what this Antichrist is all about. He put it this way, Matthew 24. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, Whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. In other words, run for the wilderness, run for your life, because this Antichrist isn't going to stop with just setting himself up and demanding to be worshipped in the Holy of Holies. He's going to come after the Jews uh, big time, and uh, so Jesus said, run for your lives, run for the wilderness. Now, in order for the abomination that causes desolation to occur, in order for for the Antichrist to go into the Holy of Holies and make an abomination of it, what does it require that isn't there right now? It requires a temple. It requires a temple to be built for the fulfillment of, of all of, of this. And uh, so that temple needs to be rebuilt on the temple mount, and it will be rebuilt. But Daniel tells us that it will be the Antichrist who will enter into a covenant with the Jews, Daniel chapter 9, to rebuild their temple. Daniel chapter 9, uh, verse 27, and then he, speaking of the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one week, and a week there means it's heptad, it means a seven, and for so for a seven-year period. But in the middle of the week, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. He'll allow the Jews to rebuild build the temple they will reinstitute sacrifices at the temple but then at the middle point of the tribulation period he'll bring an end to all of that and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate now the sad thing If you go to Israel today, uh, is that if you ask uh, the people uh, how they're going to recognize the Messiah when he comes because of the overall rejection of Jesus as the Messiah, how in the world then are you going to recognize your Messiah when he comes? And almost to a person, if they're literate in the scriptures, uh, Israel is very much a secular nation. There is a religious minority in it that knows their law and the prophets. That's what they call the Old Testament. But the average Jewish person knows very, very little about their scriptures. So if you get someone who knows a little something about it, and then plus wants to talk to you, you know, as a Christian and all, uh, and, and many, many do, uh, but you ask them, how in the world will you recognize the Messiah when he comes? And almost to a person, they'll say, he will allow us to rebuild our temple. We do not believe that the Messiah is divine like you Christians believe. We do not believe that he will be the son of God, that he he will be God in human flesh. We merely believe that he will be a great man who will allow us to rebuild our temple. And it's a complete setup even though it's found in their scriptures, Daniel, a complete setup for being deceived by the Antichrist because he is the one that will come on the scene and allow them... To rebuild their temple and uh, and they know they know these scriptures you can enter into some very interesting discussions uh, with them but so determined are so many of them not to trust in Jesus as the Messiah that they they just will dig in determined to reject him even in the face of what the scriptures have to say it's very very heartbreaking Jesus said it would be so he spoke to the religious leaders of his day and he said I have come in my father's name john five hundred thirty four I have come in my father 's name and you do not receive me if another comes in his own name, him you will receive speaking of of false messiahs and including uh, the antichrist. once you reject the true messiah then uh, and the true Christ, all you have left are are false Christ then to, to trust in now again in second uh, thessalonians and for some of you i know some of this requires a little bit of knowledge of this already so if you start to get lost a little bit don't feel guilty uh, about that just pick up what you can and then uh, in seventeen years or however long it takes us to go through the bible uh, to get to it again you can pick up uh, a, a little bit more some other an other way but so so re- you know be gracious toward yourself and toward me please Uh, Again, in 2 Thessalonians, we're told that at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the seven-year tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to enter into that holy of holies, demand to be... uh, He's going to declare himself to be God, and he's going to demand to be worshipped as God. Now, one of the interesting things to me is that here is John being told to measure a temple that hasn't been built yet but will be built in the early days of, of the great uh, tribulation. But he's told, notice in verse 2, leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 40 two months and so he says don't measure the court outside of the temple it's been given over to the gentiles now let's see if we have one of these images that i asked if we could maybe do and there we go all right wow all right let's see i've got one of these laser things right here Whoa, <laughs> excuse me <laughs> on that here is um uh, an, an interesting thing related to uh, the Temple Mount, and that's what this is—the Temple Mount area up here. And uh, there's the Dome of the Rock Mosque a little bit further over here. Is the Al-Aqsa Mosque? Mount of Olives is right here where the trees are. Down, you know, up over here. And uh, the interesting thing is, this is the Eastern Gate that we see right there, and. Oh, got a little trees in the way right there. Okay, I got a little little way right here, and that's the eastern gate, which led them to the Temple Mount in in Jesus's time. Now, when the uh, about a hundred years ago or somewhere in there I've forgotten kind of the dates and the whole thing and even the even the name of the man it might have been Ramsey or something archaeologist was digging around all around the wall and uh, this wall around Jerusalem and around the te- old city of Jerusalem it's about 400 years old it was built by the Turks but it was built over the old wall uh, in Jesus's day and much of, of the loca- location where it is around and uh, they just built upon that foundation is the city built up because of tells and all of this kind of thing the fascinating thing uh, related to all of that is that this man was doing excavations around this Eastern Gate because everybody knew that there was an entrance from the Mount of Olives up onto the Temple Mount he dug down under the Eastern Gate and he discovered another gate under the ground And and then surmised uh, correctly that this is the site of the Old Eastern uh, Gate uh, that led up to the Temple Mount. Now, uh, it's fascinating that if you go to Jerusalem today and do you go into the Jewish quarter and they have all kinds of pictures that show the Temple Mount all on their pictures but this does not exist that's gone and what they've done is they have put a gigantic Jewish temple right there and I'm sure that's quite irritating uh, to the Muslims, but they don't care. They're, they are looking forward to the uh, uh, rebuilding of their temple on on the Temple Mount. Now, the fascinating thing, in light of what John is saying here, is they're going to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount, but there it, they, they, it it does not necessarily necessitate the destruction of the Dome of the Rock Mosque, and here's why. In G- Once Ramsay, or whatever his name was, discovered that this is the actual site of the old Eastern uh, Gate, the Muslims would not allow, and to this day will not allow anyone to excavate underneath that gate. And the reason is, is because if the original gate is under that gate, it indicates that this is not located where the Old Temple. Uh, was because there's no way Herod being the builder that he was and uh, and all that he's gonna make a main entrance onto the temple ground and you come up through here up up from the Kidron Valley or through the arch kind of overpass that was there and you come on the Temple Mount and and you're expecting to see the temple and you go oh it's over here you know Uh, we don't even do that in California and we're crazy people about building Uh, so what would happen is, uh, so what they don't like is the idea that this, the, the original gate is found there, and that means that the Jewish temple was located right here. And the reason they don't like to hear that is because Christians take trips to Israel, and they talk about the fact that you don't really need to destroy that to rebuild the temple for the Jews here, is there's plenty of room right here for the temple to be rebuilt, and for that to remain under the control of the Gentiles just like John says here in in the Revelation so um uh, uh, so out here if, if this Eastern Gate is accurate right here is where the temple would have been in this area the court of the Gentiles was in this direction over here you got the al mosque and you've got the southern entrance to the Temple Mount area Everyone, Jews and Gentiles for the most part, would enter in from the south. They would come up, and you remember there's courts as you would approach the temple. There was the furthest out court was the court of the Gentiles where, you know, non-Jewish people uh, who were God-seekers, they could go only as far as the court of the Gentiles was. And then they would have to stop, and then there was a court of the women, uh, Jewish women, and there was signs that would be placed there um, saying to the Gentiles, do not pass over this barrier under the penalty of death. If you went further then you were allowed as a Gentile, toward the temple, you could be killed right on the spot on the temple mount. Jewish women could go closer than, than Gentiles and then ultimately only the priests could go uh, in, into the area. What's interesting is you go and, and it's fascinating because uh, when you see the Jews in Israel and, they, and they've got their temple rebuilt where the, the Dome of the Rock mosque is right there, they always show it in line with the eastern gate but for it be, for it to be built in line with the eastern gate it needs to be built over here what's the point the point is is that what we see right now here completely matches what John is describing there is room to build the temple you, the temple is about 10 yards wide and about 30 yards long that's as big as the temple was when you see pictures of Herod's temple Herod the egomaniac in his building you want a temple? I'll give you a temple like nobody's seen a temple before, you know. And he builds this gigantic thing that's all out of proportion. God just wanted a simple little thing that the main attraction was him. Herod's not into that. He's the... Who built that? Herod built that. That's the way he, he was working on things. The temple's very, very small. It would The temple would be like owning a 2,500 square foot home. About half of the size of the homes, right? Anyway, uh, but, but so it's not that big. Now let's go to the next picture. I'll only be about six more hours uh, on this. And uh, here's the next picture. So... Um, The, uh, let me get this right, I'm really into this. This is very powerful for me. Here's the Mount of Olives over here, and uh, and so, and you're looking here, the eastern gate over here, looking straight through over here. This is what's known as the Dome of the Spirits. We always go over it, and we stand in it, and uh, take our pictures. Well, we don't stand in it. Some people stand in it, and uh, I'm always ready for them to get shot uh, for doing so. I say that affectionately, but... It, it's believed by the Jews and by archaeologists that that is the site underneath, where underneath there is where the Holy of Holies of the original temple uh, was. And it's right next to, uh, this was the uh, Praetorium or uh, the, uh, the Antonio Fortress that was uh, part of Rome's presence to keep control of the temple uh, area, all right in here. And so it's believed that that's the Holy of Holies. It is very, very easy to see where a temple could be rebuilt here without destroying that. Now, the Jews don't like to hear that because they are believing there's some Jews that uh, are quite zealous, they'd love to blow that up tomorrow, the Dome of the Rock Mosque but how do you do it without starting World War 3 so there are saner Jews that try to keep that from happening but they look at it and say the destruction of these pagan sites on the Temple Mount, that's up to the Lord to take care of, that's his problem and, and since Israel is an earthquake uh, area, there go the sign ups for a trip to Israel but uh, since that is the case, they just look and say a simple earthquake would solve this uh, completely. But what is fascinating for our purposes is, is that John says go ahead, and, or this temple is going to be built and this whole region that constitutes the court of the Gentiles leave it alone for three and a half years. It's going to be under their control. They're going to control it anyway. So to rebuild it right there without the destruction of the other mosques uh, that can happen and still fit the scenario that we have here now how in the world is all of that uh... you know going to happen i have an idea uh... related uh, to that um, and, and, uh... i mean everybody's uh, got their ideas possible scenario is that um, in light of the book books of ezekiel Daniel, Gospel of Matthew, and, and Revelation. In Ezekiel chapter uh, 38 and 39, okay, we can uh, let that, that's, that's good, that's what I was gonna say. Okay in in light of Ezekiel 38 and 39 we're told that there's a confederation of nations that are going to come against Israel in the last days Gog Magog and uh, a confederation of nations and Gog and Magog they come from the uttermost part north part of Israel which uh, if you take a line and you you draw it straight up from uh, Israel you almost bisect Moscow could be talking about uh, Russia Uh, whoever this is they are a major military power in the world in the last days could talk about the Muslim dominated nations that are immediately uh, north of the uh, Caspian Sea but this this power from the north will align itself with Middle Eastern nations Muslim nations and and join together in an attack against Israel the Muslim nations that are identified by name in Ezekiel's prophecy are very very interesting they include Iran and interestingly Iran is named uh, first in the list of allies to join them in this invasion in, in light of what's happening today Ethiopia Libya Turkey are defined as joining with this military power from the north in an invasion of Israel all of them united by uh, the religion of, of Muslim Uh, conspicuously absent among the Muslim nations who do not, are not named as joining in this invasion are Egypt, Iraq, Jordan, and Syria. And the interesting thing about all of that is it it fits perfectly today with the geopolitical uh, situation of the world. It looks just like what God said it would look like in the last days prior to this invasion of Israel. I believe that this invasion happens almost immediately after the rapture of the church. And one of the reasons that, uh, that I think that it happens is that following this, this, uh, these invading armies are mightily defeated. I mean, they're humiliated in their defeat. God rises up on behalf of Israel, comes against these armies. Seven-eighths of the armies that invade are killed, destroyed. Now, you talk about when we see wars going on around the world and we see uh, casualties coming in, uh, you know, that represent... Uh, in terms of death, representing a tenth of the army or a quarter of an army, that is death on a massive scale in terms of, of a battle. Here is a battle where seven out of eight men that enter into that battle are going to end up dead on the battlefield in their attempt to to wipe out. Um, Israel another reason and and then they spend seven years cleaning up the mess after uh, this battle takes place which corresponds with a seven year uh, tribulation period all of that's in Ezekiel I think one of the reasons that it happens immediately after the rapture of the church um, is because this allows for the rise of the antichrist into a position of power if russia is, is is humbled, if the Muslim uh, uh, saber rattlers are humbled by this battle, and then uh... i think about the united states of america in terms of the west of all of the western nations or great military powers in the world the one that will be the most affected by the rapture will be the united states of america you remove the church from the united states of america you introduce great disarray into the country uh, you also uh... remove the uh, staunchest supporters of the right of the nation of Israel to exist from the world and that's one of the things that the Jews recognize they recognize that uh, Christians through history and uh, read Roman Catholics through history uh, have uh, been brutal in their persecution of the Jews Um, but Bible believing Christians are the best friends of, of Jews in the world today apart from other Jews because of what the Bible has to say about the nation of Israel for all of their flaws he still has plans for these people and for that that nation and so you remove that element of so- support from the nation of Israel and you don't see um, the United States running to Israel's aid in the middle of this battle which uh, the United States does not uh, do because there's no mention of them uh, in it in, in the scriptures so you have the rapture potentially Putting the United States in, in some level of, of disarray. And uh, then you have Russia humbled in the north, the Muslim countries reeling and trying to get their bearings once again. And it allows here uh, a power vacuum that allows the Antichrist to rise up into power at that time from the confines of Europe and then how in the world does he allow the jews to rebuild the temple without starting world war 3 couldn't do it today but if those nations are defeated on that kind of a scale the most Muslim nations they're humbled put back on their heels that's a perfect time to come in and say I am now in in kind of a peace settlement with this whole thing that you guys tried to do to wipe them off of the map and all I'm gonna allow them to rebuild their their temple alongside everything else up on that temple mount and nobody will be in really much of a place uh, to squawk and so that's a The kind of a scenario that can allow it to happen and then allow, as John says here, that the holy city will, uh, despite the rebuilding of the temple, it will be uh, underfoot for 42 years, uh, given over to uh, the Gentiles. And that probably refers to what the events that follow the abomination that causes uh, desolation of the last um, three and a half years. Now, whew, my... Let's tackle another verse. (laughs) Verse 3. And I will, John said, and I will give power, as the Lord is continuing to give this revelation, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, which equals three and a half years, They will be clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to hurt them or harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These two witnesses have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. For three and a half years. Now notice, not only are they witnesses in verse 3, but notice in verse 6, they're prophets. They are on the earth speaking uh, for God in the middle of the madness of, of the great tribulation period, or the tribulation period. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they Desire. And so John tells us about these two men, these two prophets. They'll be supernaturally empowered by God to make a stand for God in the midst of this demonic madness that's on, uh, on the earth. And, uh, and they stand in the city of Jerusalem. And I think the reason it's spoken of, uh, we know that they're, they're in the city of Jerusalem because he identifies it a little bit later in verse 8. But I think he speaks of the two witnesses here in the context of the rebuilt temple because their ministry, for the most part, is going to take place within the area of the rebuilt temple. Now, the thing you have to remember about the rebuilt temple that's built during the tribulation period, God is not pleased with that. We go to Israel and and then they take the Christians to these sites where they see, you know, the the menorah being built for the new temple and the brazen altar and all of the instruments that are used in the worship of God at the temple and all the clothes that they've got for the priests and and everything and and, uh, certain of the Jews are very, very excited about that and Christians can get so excited, oh, there's going to be the temple rebuilt. The only thing that the rebuilding of the temple does for us as Christians is to realize that the end is near. That the abomination of desolation is coming. God is not pleased with this temple. He does not like this temple. He does not abide in this temple. That temple is an affront to him. Because he's already got a temple, and it's called the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's made of living stones. It is the Holy Spirit living inside of people who have allowed uh, God to come into their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. There is no better temple than that. So he doesn't like this because that temple is just an expression of man trying to work his way to God by doing certain things, keeping certain laws, keeping certain rituals and all in an effort to establish our own righteousness before God in order that we can make ourselves acceptable. And that's not how God saves people. He saves people by faith in, in his Son. So. Here these guys are, and I'm inclined to believe that they um, uh, perform their, their ministry to the Lord during the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, during the period in which this temple is being built, and, it, and while Jews are coming doubtless from around the world to come and worship the Lord at the rebuilt temple. And, uh, prof- and here are these two witnesses speaking of Christ as the Messiah, faith in Christ, and, and all, of, all of these things to the Jewish multitude that is, is coming to this rebuilt temple. Now, notice that, um, again, uh, that, that they're going to be a witness for God they're going to testify to God. They're going to be a witness to him in the midst of a world that's just dominated by the devil, dominated by uh, the Antichrist in, in the spiritual darkness of that time. They'll do it for 1,260 days, we're told, in, in, in verse uh, uh, 3. And, uh, and I think that the re- one of the reasons I think it's during the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation is that they're Jewish, and their ministry is to the jews and following the abomination that causes desolation at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the great uh, tribulation period the jews will scatter there will not be a great ministry to jews after that time they will either flee to the wilderness and be supernaturally protected by god or they will be killed by the antichrist So there won't be a a great, um, uh, you know, multitude for this, especially given who uh, we think these people, these two men are, a great ministry uh, in the second half of the great tribulation uh, 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 for them. Now notice also... Here that they're clothed in sackcloth in verse 3. That was the clothing that the Old Testament prophets would wear uh, when their hearts were broken over the the spiritual condition, the idolatry um, and, and all of the Lord's people and God would raise up a prophet he would wear sackcloth it would be an indication of of his own God's heart and his own broken heart over the sin of God's people and and so it was the dress of of the prophets when they would then warn people of a judgment that was coming unless they repented and so they will they will wear this Old Testament kind of garb Uh, during the three-and-a-half years uh, of their of their ministry we're we're told in verse four that they uh, as they're described as two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth now the imagery of two olive trees and two lampstands uh, as we continue to look for the Old Testament to uh, help us to properly interpret uh, the book of Revelation. So we look and we say, where in the law and the prophets, where in the Old Testament do we read about two olive trees and two lampstands and all of this? And we do read about it in Zechariah chapter 4. Where Zachariah sees this uh, vision, and as he looks at this vision, he sees a lampstand or a menorah of solid gold and with a bowl on top of it, and, uh, and on the, seven, uh, and on the s- uh, stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Then he said there were two olive trees were, uh, by it, one at the right hand of the bowl and the other on uh, the left. And then the angel of the Lord says, you understand what you're seeing. Here's here's kind of what it's like. Ah, a menorah. (laughs) Praise the Lord. All right. Here's kind of what he's seeing a little bit. So he's seeing uh, a seven-stem lampstand, and he's seeing a great bowl that sits up above it, and it's filled with oil, but it's got these seven feeder tubes that go out to the light. And remember the menorah and all this, it represents the presence of God. And then above this, this bowl that's feeding this are two great olive trees, and, and all, it was olive oil that w- they would use to keep this lit. And, and the olive trees are supplying this bowl with the oil that then supplies this uh, light to the temple and, and to the nation of Israel, and a symbol of, of God's uh, presence. Now the context of that particular vision is that a man by the name of Zerubbabel and a priest by the name of Joshua had come back to the land of Israel and they were given a commission to rebuild the temple. And when they got there for the rebuilding of the temple, the whole thing is such a big job to do and and mountains of rubble all over because Israel had been conquered. And they get there, and as they look at how, you know, the the magnitude of of the job that it will take in order to rebuild the temple, they're kind of discouraged a little bit by uh, all of it. And so God gives this vision to Zechariah. And here's the interpretation of it. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel not by might, nor by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And who are you, O great mountain, of this rubble that needed to be removed before uh, things could even be rebuilt? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth a capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small? all things for these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel they are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth and then he goes on to say and so he said these are the two anointed ones who stand before the Lord of the whole earth so this whole uh, olive trees taking and feeding the bowl the bowl feeding the seven uh, lights on on the menorah and the point is is that what was happening here was happening supernaturally in other words God was saying that Zerubbabel and Joshua will finish the rebuilding of the temple because I will give them supernatural ability to do it by my holy spirit even though it looks physically impossible that they would be able to do that and then what god is taking now and ascribing that same vision now to these two prophets he's in essence saying that by the power of the holy spirit these two witnesses are going to faithfully finish what god had called them to do god will give them the power to do it the power to stand alone against the whole world in being faithful to God in speaking faithfully f- the things uh, of the Lord and in here no matter what the world throws against them of the devil of hell of darkness of sin of all of this resistance because of the Spirit of God upon them no- nothing will be effective in stopping their ministry and it's wonderful to realize that the same Spirit that indwell, dwell, will indwell them to be faithful is the spirit that indwells us every single day in, in our walk with the Lord, in our faithfulness to what he's called us to do. Well, uh, the Antichrist isn't going to like these guys uh, for three and a half years you know, speaking for God and robbing him of his glory and all of, of, of these kind of, of things. And I do want you to know, notice again before, before we get there. In verse 4, they, he talks about the two witnesses as being the place that his Holy Spirit rests upon. His Spirit does not rest upon the temple. What is happening in Jerusalem during this period of the tribulation period that is of the Spirit of God is happening completely through these two witnesses. God does not recognize or acknowledge anything that's happening at the temple because it has nothing to do with His His Spirit. Now you notice in verse 5 that attempts are made to stop their uh, ministry uh, Uh, for God and uh, and 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 you notice that violent attempts are made verse 5 if anyone wants to harm them uh, at the end of it if anyone wants to harm them so apparently uh, attempts are made with great violence to kill these guys and stop them from talking about the Lord and denouncing the rebuilding of the temple and the Antichrist and all of these things whatever it is that they're they're going to say but every attempt at violence against them is is going to be unsuccessful, and in fact, not only will they not be successful, but everyone that tries to do them harm will be devoured by a flame that comes out of the mouth of these two witnesses. Now, I don't know what that looks like, whether it's symbolic or whether it's real or whatever. But anybody that comes to do them harm, they just speak the word or whatever, and. Um, Bye! (laughs) You know, that's it. Uh, There's there's no big uh, battle over that. They're devoured by fire. And it's easy to imagine the Antichrist sending, uh, perhaps initially, great numbers of people against these two in order to silence them. And every attempt is completely uh, uh, unsuccessful. Uh, just as with Elijah when they tried to, soldiers were sent to arrest him. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Now, notice the power that's given, verse 6, to these two witnesses. They have the power to shut up heaven so that no rain falls for three and a half years. They have the power to turn water, uh, the waters, into uh, blood. They have the power to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And that's, that's tremendous power that they that they have um, at, at, at their um, hands. Now, there's a lot of uh, conjecture <clears throat> about the identity of these two witnesses. Thankfully, I know who they are, so you can uh, relax while we, <clears throat> I say that uh, kiddingly and affectionately, but, um, one of the, uh, but it is interesting to take a pot shot at it. I think almost everyone uh, acknowledges that one of these two prophets is going to be the prophet Uh, Elijah and one of the reasons is is because of Malachi's prophecy concerning the last days that Elijah will uh, will come Uh, uh, Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord which speaks of the great tribulation the second half of of the tribulation period which is another reason I feel it will be the first three and a half years Jesus Affirmed that uh, Elijah would have this place in terms of of the future and the end times. Mark chapter nine verse eleven. The disciples asked them and said, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first, speaking of before the end? And then Jesus answered and told them, Elijah does come first and restores all things and uh, and so it appears that one of these uh, fellows is is Elijah and it's certainly consistent with some of the authority that's given uh, to the to to the two witnesses the ability to call fire down in order to bring an end to adversaries Uh, again in 2nd Kings chapter 1 we see an incident where uh, the king of Israel uh, sends uh, a, a group of 50 soldiers to arrest uh, Elijah because he doesn't like what Elijah has prophesied concerning him. And these 50 s- soldiers, they, they come to Elijah. Elijah's sitting up uh, on, on a hill and they speak to him and they say, Man of God, the king has said, Come down. And Elijah answered, and he said to the captain of the 50, If I'm a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. If Elijah ever says that to you, uh, run. Uh, because what happened is fire came down from heaven, consumed him, and his 50. They're engaged in an evil deed to try and silence God's voice to this prophet, and just like it's going to happen in, in the, the great tribulation. So this king, though, he's, he, he's, a, he's a slow learner on things, and... Uh, so he sends a second group of 50 and, uh, with their captain, and they come and they say, Man of God, thus says the king, come down quickly. And Elijah uh, said, Well, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire from God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Well, the king is undeterred. He sends a third group of 50 men with their captain and all, but this third captain, he approaches a little bit differently. <laughs> Hi, Elijah. <laughs> Have a good day. <laughs> so he comes up, and he falls on his knees before Elijah. This is an improvement, and he begins to plead now with him, and he said to him, Man of God, i got a wife at home, and i got three kids, and I don't know what they're going to do without me. Man of God, let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. And look, fire has come down uh, from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s. We've heard about it, but let my life n- uh, now be precious in your sight. And then the Lord, Ah, now we've got a good attitude. And then the Lord spoke to Elijah and said, go down with him, don't be afraid of him. And he went with him then uh, on his way. So this, this, uh, all of this is characteristic of an earlier uh, part of, of Elijah's uh, ministry. Another thing that, is in, that parallels with Elijah is the fact that there is no rain for three and a half years. And we know that when Elijah confronted King Ahab related to his wickedness uh, that because of his prayers there, or, or, or not, there was a drought in the land for three and a half years and it was only Elijah's prayer that uh, released uh, rain to come back. Uh, into the land and so it looks very much like Elijah the second witness only God really knows but there's some educated guesses some people believe the second witness will be Enoch you remember in Genesis chapter 5 verse 24 that Enoch walked with God and he was not so people believe well Elijah remember he was taken into heaven by a fiery chariot he did not uh maybe finish his ministry, so to speak, and he did not experience death. Same thing was true of Enoch. So they look and say, well, those are the two guys that didn't experience death. They didn't finish their ministries. So they will do that now during uh, the Great Tribulation. And if you believe that it's Enoch, that's a very, very common view, very widely held view. God bless you. Uh, I'm inclined to believe that it's Moses. And uh, and I'm inclined to think that it's Moses on the basis of the miracles that these witnesses perform. You notice in verse 6 that... One of the things that they're able to do is they have power over waters to turn them to blood to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And that was characteristic of Moses' ministry uh, in the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. The plagues, the authority in, in this, this kind of, of a way. And uh, so the miracles are identical to his, his earlier ministry. And I think who better... To witness to the Jewish people concerning Jesus as the Christ, and, and to call people to holiness, than Moses representing the law and Elijah representing uh, the prophets, and, and since the volume of the book, the law and the prophets, they testify to Jesus. I think there'll be some amazing sermons preached during those three and a half years through these these three uh, men. I think it's at least interesting, also. When, uh, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, that um, the two that are with him on that Mount of Transfiguration is not Elijah and Enoch, but Elijah and, and Moses. Now notice in verse 7, when they finish, unlike this sermon, when they finish uh, their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them. Notice that they will be overcome ultimately by the Antichrist, but it will not happen on the Antichrist's term. The only reason that the Antichrist is able then to overcome them is because their ministry is over. They have finished their testimonies. And when they finish their ministry, their testimonies, then the Antichrist will have some success against them. The devil is powerless against them until they finish their testimony. And I think how wonderful to realize that about our own lives. As we walk with God, as we serve the Lord, as we're in all kinds of goofy places under the direction of His Holy Spirit, He numbers our days. Uh, he, he's the one that determines how long we're going to be on this earth and he is going to do whatever is necessary for us to remain alive until we finish what God has called us to do. And when we have finished our testimonies, God knowing how beautiful heaven is, how wonderful it is, how peaceful it is, and and all uh, because he is the loving God that he is, then our ministry being done, there's no sense in leaving us here any longer, and he simply takes us home. And I think that that's very, very important to realize when someone who knows the Lord and loves the Lord uh, dies at what we would consider to be an early age. And sometimes we're we're prone to think, oh my, how sad they had their whole life in front of them and they're just getting started in their influence for God and they're walking with God and they walk so close to God. And why in the world would this happen to that kind of a person? Who knows what they might have been or what they might have done if they had only lived longer. Their ministry is over. Their ministry is over. And when our ministry is over... There's no sense in us remaining here any longer. And God just simply takes us home to heaven. Now notice the events surrounding the death of these two. In verse 8, Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Where was Jesus crucified? In Jerusalem so they're ministering in the city of Jerusalem God renames them because during this time in the in the tribulation period because of the sin and because of the idolatry and the wickedness he he renames the city won't even call it Jerusalem uh, the city of peace he renames it Sodom and Egypt Sodom uh, you know synonymous with wickedness uh, Egypt synonymous with idolatry. The city is, is, is known now for wickedness and, and idolatry, and their bodies just lay out on the street. Now, both uh, uh, Jew and, and uh, Muslim in the Middle East uh, today, when someone dies, they bury you within 24 hours. There's no embalming, there's no long, big, drawn-out kind of thing. No matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, anything like that, you are buried within 24 hours. That's the way that it is. And and it's it's a sign of respect to do that. For them to leave the bodies of these two witnesses dead on the street of Jerusalem is, is just a great disgrace. They are wanting to disgrace them, disgrace their life, disgrace their uh, their their bodies. They just want to show them as much uh, shame as they can. And then notice in verse nine. Then those from the peoples, tribes. So we're not talking about just Jews now. We're talking about the whole world. Then those from the peoples, the tribes, the tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies. Three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. They will stop anyone that tries to give them a burial. They will leave their dead bodies to rot out on the street. And it's very fascinating when it talks about uh, the, the, the fact that as those bodies lay out on the street, that not just Jerusalem... But the whole world, peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies. How is that possible? Until the last 50 years with satellite television and the ability to take a picture of something happening in Jerusalem and beam it all around the whole world. And, and so obviously during this period of the tribulation, the uh, news services will still be uh, well-staffed and, uh, and beaming out. Uh, their, their signals not saying that there aren't safe people there but the news will go on but but you see you know CNN and, and Fox uh, News and all of these things that they, they this thing this image will be breaking news all around the world and the whole world will see their bodies there couldn't couldn't have happened 50 years ago And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, their death. They will make merry, send gifts to one another. You talk about savages, and um, they'll send, they'll have parties, celebration. They'll send gifts to each other because these guys are dead, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Isn't it interesting? Tormented them with the plagues and the different things, but tormented them with the Word of God. And tormented them with a holy life isn't it interesting that the world will get so wicked that the Word of God and a holy life will be considered a torment that's what the Bible says that it talks about the days when good will be called evil and evil will be called good everything will be backwards everything will be backwards during the tribulation period nobody will want to, to be here and you watch it you watch it building even in our day I was born in 1955 I'm 51 years old I'll save you the math but I never ever dreamed that I would see the day in this country that I've grown up in the United States of America that I would ever see an attack like we have seen on the law of God on the Ten Commandments on a righteous standard from God's Word an attack on the Bible, like we've seen, an attack even upon using the word Christmas at Christmas time. What in the world day do you think it think it is? But what it, it's a torment. It's a the Ten Commandments. The fact that there is a God-given right and wrong is a torment to a certain kind of person. Uh, Christmas, the celebration of the birth of Christ, is a torment to a certain kind of person and and so already represented in in the world and then here uh... uh, they'll be in full bloom here sending gifts to each other that this voice is finally silenced there in, in in the world now after the three and a half days uh, and, and so God's going to have, uh, God gonna have uh, the last word here on all of this. He does have a sense of humor, uh, sanctified, but it's wonderful. Now, after the three and a half days, and they have to feel that in killing these prophets, they have killed and silenced the God who is behind these prophets. But after three and a half days, the, and it's interesting, Jesus dead for three days and then raised again. After three and a half days, the breath of life from God enters into these two and and so uh, got the cameras rolling guys you know and so they got the whole thing going Ah, here they are they're starting you know three and a half days and they're still lying out in the street and the whole thing and then the breath of life god comes back into these two guys and they stand on their feet can you imagine Marty Feldman eyes, whoa, whoa, whoa you know, are watching, you tell, this can't be good, stop sending the presents, you know, <laughs> every, this is really going bad, I, and you laugh, but I, it, the, and then he goes on to talk about what's going to happen, absolute terror is going to come on the whole world when they see this. And great fear fell on those who saw them. Like their Lord, they're resurrected after three days. And then these two, they heard a voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Let's get you out of there. And then they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them, just as Jesus made his ascension into heaven to the right hand uh, of the Father. Again, he's just trying to reach him, trying to think, make him think, think, think. Jesus, think, think. Jesus, Jesus, think. You know, what, do you, what does this all remind you of? And then, in the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city, Jerusalem, fell. And the earthquake, uh, in the earthquake, seven thousand people were killed, and the rest. Uh, And the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. And that doesn't mean that everyone now began to worship uh, 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 God there. It's not a genuine worship, but it's this kind of grudging uh, uh, admission of His power and that they were foiled once again by Him. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So there we have it. Let's stand together. And we'll pick it up in verse 15. How many of you thought of it?